Hey, this is Vanessa. This is Carlos. And you're listening to Retro Ad Review. This is a podcast where we select a couple of random old TV commercials and review them. So if you like commercials, listen in. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Retro Ad Review. Hi, everybody. All right, so what are we looking at today? Commercials in the spooky Halloween theme of October. Of spookiness. A spooky <laughs> month of spooky, particularly it's video games. Spooktacular. That's what I'm going to name this episode, Spooktacular. So yeah, spooktacular. So in, um, in honor of the spooky season, as they say, we're going to look at some creepy commercials but creepy video game commercials there are lots of games out there that are scary so there were many to choose from so we i think the selection here is a little bit more unknown than the traditional what you may think read we're not looking at a resident evil commercial so (laughs) i think with that let's just jump into the first one and then we'll get into the stories of what these games are all right so, you want to know the story of Splatterhouse, the new horror video game for TurboGrafx-16? They say he stalks the old haunted mansion. They say he's looking for his girlfriend. They say his only weapon against the maggot-eating ghouls who took her is a two-by-four. And you say you want to play this game? Splatterhouse. Only for the TurboGrafx-16 system from NEC. Do you know what this kind of reminds me of? This commercial, what? Bone. What was it? Bone Storm. Bone Storm. I mean, it's not, but yeah. That um, was like the Mortal Kombat, though. Yeah, yeah. I just was thinking about Bone Storm. It's like Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse. Turbo Graphics. What year is this? Uh, it's like the early nineties. Okay. All right. So this uh, was the like original a- game was released in nineteen eighty eight, but oh, this was in the early nineties. Interesting. Okay. All right. So this commercial itself, it's in that classic vein of 80s, 90s commercials, early 90s commercials, where it would really overly describe what you were going to experience. So it's, you know, it's kind of tell sort of show. So So it's good for uh, this podcast. It's good for listening. So if you actually, sorry, if you want to watch this commercial on YouTube, it's TurboGrafx spelled G-R-A-F-X, Splatterhouse Commercial. And in this, we see a kind of a grimy looking area with a lot of industrial. It kind of looks like you're in a scary saw movie almost with, you know, a bunch of saws and weird pieces of wood. It's a timber cutting place. Is that what it's called? It's a lumber house. A mill, a, a mill, a lumber mill. Um, but anyway, it's showing pieces of wood being cut by very sharp things. And then it shows a guy who, to me, looks a little bit like Jason. Because he's wearing he a mask. He looks like Kane from uh, he does WWFE. Does. He does look like that. Um, so Kane is in this commercial. <laughs> and he's got like a kind of a buzz saw and he's cutting wood. So, you know, he's not actually like cutting people or doing anything. It's just a scary man, a scary lumberjack. Um, <laughs> Turn it into a two by four. Yeah, he's like, vroom, into, he's just doing his job. So this is intercut because that's he like live action. On, uh, he had an on work accident. That's why his face is all kind of. <laughs> like, or he doesn't want like wood flying Looks in his like face. Looks like he's wearing medical scrubs. It's confusing. Yeah, it's kind of maybe he's a crazy guy escaped from the psychiatric facility to cut wood. So, so that's live action. And then that's intercut with actual gameplay. Um, and it's very classic early 90s. Like, I almost feel like as I'm listening to the, the video, I'm almost maybe expecting like PlayStation 1 graphics. Because the thing is, I feel like back then, early 90s, you didn't really experience a lot of violence. There was violence, but it wasn't like that was the big sell. I feel like probably later in the probably later 90s. After 92 with uh, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we needed kind of like 1990, I think. So it feels weird. I feel like I should be seeing PlayStation 1 graphics, but I'm seeing like Nintendo <laughs> graphics. Well, Turbo Graphics 16 graphics. Turbo Graphics. I'm seeing like 
Sega graphics in front of me. Uh, anyway, the game itself is just showing like kind of looks like blood and stuff. And it ends with the turbo graphics. It shows you the Splatterhouse logo, which looks like the Boogerman logo. <laughs> Kane swings his two by four. At your face. Yeah. And then the little sprite of Kane slaps the turbo graphics logo at the end. So that's I guess that's what they did do in the uh, in the ring, I guess. I mean, this. Yeah, no, no. It, this is but, an interesting commercial. Spoiler alert. It's not Kane. <laughs> We're just Ooh, what? I think they'd have to pay a lot of money for that. Even though the character came out of like 90. Well, then I <laughs> guess actually, yeah, maybe WWF at the time would have to pay a lot of money. Anyway, go on, go on. Tell me about this. Cause I actually have no concept of what the hell I'm watching. It looks like a fun game. You don't remember Splatterhouse? I don't remember Splatterhouse. You don't remember Splatterhouse for the TurboGrafx-16? No, I don't even remember. I'm going to tell you, I don't even remember the TurboGrafx-16. I didn't even know that existed as a system. All the other ones outside of the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, like Neo Geo and stuff, it's like I vaguely heard of them, but no one we knew had them. TurboGrafx. Okay, Splatterhouse was a horror-themed video game series from Bandai Namco. There's a little bit weird. I can never really tell when it's considered called Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco because I don't... Because of mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, I don't remember which (laughs) because I remember looking up Pac-Man stuff. It was Namco, Namco Bandai. Bandai. Okay, I'm just going to call it Bandai Namco. It has a pretty rich story for a garbage (laughs) (laughs) beat-em-up. So I'm going to try to quickly condense the three stories, the three major trilogy into a storyline. The storyline is a story of Rick Taylor. He's a parapsychology student who, with his girlfriend, Jennifer Willis, goes to Dr. Henry West's mansion. Dr. Henry West was an authority on parapsychology, so they're researching him for their major and stuff. But they get rained out in a storm and have to go into the mansion. When they go in, the door closes behind them, and Jennifer is kidnapped, and Rick is unconscious. Rick wakes up and is revived by an ancient Rick. Mayan mask. A, a what? A Mayan mask? An ancient Mayan mask called the Terror Mask. <laughs> okay. He puts it on, it beefs him up, and he gains superhuman strength. And pretty much from then on, he's, he and the Terror Mask are just violently beating these monsters up. Okay. He goes through the mansion and finds a possessed Jennifer who attacks him. And she occasionally has bouts of her, her former self, and she's, like, begging him to kill me, kill me. Yeah. He does, and he's very sad about it, but she thanks him for doing it. Enraged, Rick goes further into the house, who happens to be a living organism, finds its womb, and it kills it. The he mask, finds its womb? He finds the womb of the living house, which is trying to produce monsters and stuff, oh, and kills okay. it. So the if mask, you want to kill something, kill its womb? <laughs> I guess if it doesn't have a heart. <laughs> okay, the, mask, the heart is the womb. The well, I mean, it's portion. a house that's alive. Like, what are we supposed to expect? Um, not going to be anatomically correct. Okay, go on. But the mask forces Rick to fight a monster in a graveyard outside. He, like, blasts energy at the graveyard, which fans have speculated is Dr. West. Oh. So okay. when he defeats it, Rick goes back to normal. The mask leaves him, and it breaks apart. Rick runs away. And the mask reassembles and laughs evilly, like, hey, this isn't over. So part two, which mm. takes place three months later, Rick is racked Rick. with guilt. And why do you keep saying Rick? <laughs> Rick him. is racked with guilt. <laughs> like walking and the, mask, the mask comes into his nightmares and says, Jennifer doesn't have to remain dead. You have to come back to the mansion and I can help you. So despite Rick not liking his experiences with the mask, he has to put the mask on back again and goes into a hidden mansion on an island next to uh, Dr. West's mansion. There he finds Dr. West's notes and opens the gate to the land of the dead. And he sees Jennifer encased in a crystallized state between life and death. And when he frees her, he accidentally also unwittingly frees an evil entity. They escape on a speedboat chased by a multi-headed, human-headed dog monster thing. Cerberus? No, it's like a (laughs) ball of heads that has human and dog heads. It's a gross game. That's confusing. An island and mansion sink, and the mask voluntarily leaves Rick to 
savor his moment with Jennifer. But Rick is like, the mask is still alive. This is going to be bad. So five years later, Rick... Five years. How can you like, live your life after that? Just be like, well, I guess I'll just forget about everything. I don't know. I guess he's strong enough. Because yeah. I'm strong. No, no. Go on. <laughs> Rick. Rick. Has married Jennifer and has a child named David, and he's been able to put his life back together, buys his own mansion, which is the setting for the next game, with his Wall Street money. A cult of monsters are trying to revive the entity Rick unwittingly freed in part two, which is known as the evil one. They take Jennifer and David, and the mask comes back to him like, you have to fight this thing because it's evil. It's my ancient enemy. Okay. Rick... Saves Jennifer, but the evil one used her as a distraction so he could actually get David's latent psychic power to open the Dark Stone, which houses all the world's dark magic. He wants to take it all for himself and rule the world. Rick defeats the evil one, but then the mask, who's been around since the beginning, finally reveals his true plan. He wanted Rick to kill the evil one so he could possess the evil one's body and take over the world himself. Rick defeats the mask. And it crumbles and finally dies permanently this time. And he goes back with Jennifer and David to live happily ever after in their mansion. So this isn't Between... about the mask from the movie, The Mask. No, but okay. I guess it's an okay. evil mask. <laughs> there yeah, are... I mean, there's not many variations of evil mask does evil things. So, so I tried to condense that pretty well. But then again, it doesn't have that much of a story because you just walk inside to side punching things. So right. <laughs> they also released a cute parody version between one and two to make it less violent, and it was only released in Japan. The series draws from a lot of horror franchise. Doctor West is named Herbert West from H.P. Lovecraft's Herbert West Reanimator, which was turned into a movie with Jeffrey Coombs mm-hmm. Reanimator, and then Bride of Reanimator, and a bunch of other things. Rick's mask looks a lot <laughs> like Jason Voorhees' mask, <laughs> but to avoid copyright, they uh. Change it to a more skull look later. The Evil Dead with the laughing deer, because there's vomiting deer. And a severed hand that gives you the finger. The Evil House is like the Evil House from Poltergeist. And it implodes. Yeah, I actually was going to mention Poltergeist. I was like, oh, like the Poltergeist house. And it's like, yeah, whatever. So it was like very Western movie. Oh, wait, is it a Japanese made game? Yeah. Oh. And the ending theme was a rearrangement of Sento nel Core by Alessandro Scarlatti, a composer of the Baroque era. For some reason, Mm. that's in this game. That's interesting. That was the end of the trilogy. That actually sounds like an interesting game. Like, I'm not quite sure. I Actually, you know what? I played all those old games, so I'd probably still play it anyway. But again, it still feels like the type of game that would have been made in the PlayStation and maybe would have done well, or at least for got me, a cult following. For me, video games back then were really, really simple that I needed to read the instruction manual or look at the arcade idle screen to be like, this is my motivation for playing it, not just punching things. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, you know, that's actually, sorry, I got really weirdly excited there. I think that's kind of the fun part of those old games. Like, you know, you'd play like a side scroller, like Streets of Rage or something, and it yeah. would just be punch, punch, punch. And then you'd actually read the manual and the manual would have this like deep lore in it. Like yeah. such and such <laughs> was actually the president's son. But then he's trained with some Colombian gorillas and has come back to save the world from some sort of mythical evil thing. That's what like Metal Gear... Metal Gear 1 was, but then when the PlayStation era, they expanded greatly. Yeah. I so, guess, yeah, they could actually do but something with it. But, but this, looking at some of the visuals and the graphics yeah. of this, it actually does look kind of frightening. Like, just from yeah. this commercial, you can see some bits that's that look like, Ugh. That's why I put this in there, because the series, as you can see from the commercial, is best known for its extremely graphic gore and violence. They sidestepped it by making none of the enemies human, but still you had to fight hanging baby fetuses. Oh, Jesus. Baby fetuses that when you cracked it with a two by four, its entrails fell out, flying knives at your face, zombies, all kinds of rotting corpses, and the walls are bleeding, vomiting deer. The, there's just entrails everywhere. It's just like a violent, bloody mess. Yeah. I've only seen little clips, but yeah, I feel like this is the type of thing. Do you know what's really weird about playing those old games? There are certain things that like certain visuals that kind of stick with you. So even though you have, you know, 16 bit, pretty impressive graphics, I still feel like I remember certain things that they did really well with all those bits. 
I feel like this is the type of game that would have stayed with me or scarred me if I played it. <laughs> <laughs> For me, even the box art was like, I want to play this. And then you play it, it doesn't look like that, but it's still cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like the, 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 the commercial itself is actually really scary. Like if you were like a, I don't know what you call them, but Gorehead or whatever, a person who <laughs> like read Fangoria or something like that, you'd probably enjoy this game yeah, or would like want to play it because it looks Jason Voorhees messy. is chopping wood. <laughs> Yeah, they, they really played up the extremely graphic gore. And the promotional material was trying to entice the kids, but scare the parents. The front of the box of TurboGrafx-16 said, the horrifying theme of this game may be inappropriate for young children. And cowards. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the Sega box of Part 3 said, it's the type of game the rating systems were made for. <laughs> and in being super violent, it also got into the part of the infamous U.S. Senate hearings on violence in oh video God. games. You had Joseph Lieberman, senator of Connecticut, reading the back of the box, 500 different violent ways to disengorge people. It was like, sounded weird how some stuffy suit guy was saying God, I remember cool this. things. At the top, it says he's back. Splatterhouse 3 for the Sega Genesis is the kind of game rating systems were invented for. Like, I don't remember it fully, but I remember the weird video game violence thing, like the beginning. Of, it's, it's so weird. But anyway, yeah. And the NRA Betty vice Hearings. president, after uh, an unfortunate incident with gun violence to dissuade gun violence, he was, it's not the guns, but look at our culture when you have violent games like Splatterhouse. Through vicious, violent video games with names like Bulletstorm, Grand Theft Auto, Mortal Kombat, and Splatterhouse. Which has violent... God, like Splatterhouse, there's such a disconnect here. I feel like listening to the story of Splatterhouse feels way more in the vein of maybe Resident Evil or some of the other games we're going to talk about. But like Splatterhouse sounds like Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of world. It sounds like what is it called? Exploitation period of the 70s. Yeah. It sounds like it should be more of that. Like maniac Joe something is ready to kill everyone. And that's the game. That's it. Not some but evil it's a mask. hero who hunts monsters to save his girlfriend and son. Yeah, it's evil mask. It feels more like it's in the Silent Hill range of game rather than the name Splatterhouse, which just makes me think, oh, right. This is just about a maniac who kills things. It's very weird. The bad, bad title. I mean, actually, maybe it's a good title because you wanted all the people who were into that kind it's of like thing. The like no one was like movies. No um, one was playing for the story unless you're playing yeah. like Final Fantasy or something. So after the final game came out in the early 90s, I believe it was 93. Wow. The series went dormant for a long, long time until they started production in the late 2000s on another game. Hmm. It was a remake, and they wanted to remake it to be a violent M-rated game to satisfy the Western gaming market. Again, kind of how the first one was, more <laughs> Western-influenced than Eastern-influenced. Yeah, even the Namco people in the early game and even this game, they were like, it seems a little too violent. But the Western people were like, yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it had a tumultuous development. The Bandai Namco hired a company called Bottle Rocket, but the head of Bottle Rocket, Jay Beard, consistently flouted Bandai Namco's directions in the game. They just wanted a straightforward beat em up with a big, hulking, scary monster guy and violence and punching. So, what I was saying, what I thought Splatterhouse was, is what yeah, this guy wanted. Yeah, he wanted okay. to make it like one of his other games that had kung fu and uh, a oh, targeting system. Stupid. And the okay. concept art was just supposed to be generic monsters, but he had like a weird one that had like a television head that was plugged into its crotch and a lot of wires and stuff cool i mean it does sound kind of cool actually but so like, that's not he was trying is. to make his own game and Under then the money uh, whenever they they asked for progress they were like oh here's a, a another art picture and another art picture and another art picture and just showing what they wanted but they're like uh could we actually see the quality of the game <laughs> and the progress was really slow Bottle Rocket was also, at the same time to get more income, working on Brash Entertainment's DC's The Flash. 
But Brash went under and Bottle Rocket had a bunch of unemployed employees and working on a game that they were behind on with constant contention with Bandai Namco. So Bandai Namco just said, you know what, we're getting rid of these guys. And that they had to file for bankruptcy. Later. Oh, Jesus. So but what happened to the game? Bandai Namco eventually had to develop in-house, but since a lot of the people from Bottle Rocket worked on the game, they were like, we need a lot of you guys back. <laughs> Just go with this in-house instead. <laughs> the game came out about a year after it was advertised, 2009. They released it in 2010. Late in 2010, they wanted to release it by Halloween. That's but a good time. They released it around Christmas time. Ooh, not a good time. Sort of about twenty million dollars for the whole thing, and well, it was not very well received. I feel so bad for the bottle rocket yeah. employees. The other guy just doing whatever he wanted to feel less bad for, but <laughs> Jesus, that sounds it gained poor. cult status, and after several years because of its bad reputation, and since then, Splatterhouse has not been really around. I mean, it's cameos and stuff in like certain fighting games and stuff, but it's kind of dead because. You can't do much with it. I mean, I feel like you kind of could, but maybe the story has just been done. Maybe now. if you'd have a really in-depth story one, because it has some depth, just... Well, I feel like you get lost in the lore of the terror mask and stuff. I feel like yeah, there's probably the something to where it. He's but, Mayan I think, mask. but I kind of feel like Mayan maybe we've do- overdone it. by the- Like, it was probably ahead of its time in doing, you know, murder masks or whatever, but I think... I could probably think of a few games that fit into that zone now, which I've listed a few and they're very good games. Which um, you could fit it in, but I don't know. Yeah, it Again, just won't. It, it was always like bare bones, super violence and punching. So, yeah. Well, the story itself, like I said, you could do more about, you could make a cultish, you can make a whole lot of things. But yeah, I think it's already, record, I think we already have enough games to do that. So, well, that, that was, was weird. Splatterhouse. The story of Splatterhouse. Well, that's the story of Splatterhouse. I think, seeing as we spent so much time on the Splatterhouse, we should move on to the next game. So this next game, or commercial, sorry, is pretty well known. Probably well more known. Is that a, <laughs> well more known than Splatterhouse. Well more known than Splatterhouse. Let's just jump into it. Cellular DNA. Aliens within ourselves. Waiting to strike. Parasite. The worst foe lies within. Parasite Eve. Hello, PlayStation. So, if you are unaware, this one isn't as ear-friendly, so if you want to find this, you probably just type in Parasite Eve commercial, but the one we specifically watched is Parasite Eve Sony PlayStation commercial. So, this thing is weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's a nice commercial. (laughs) It's good. I mean, just looking at the graphics now, it's just like, Jesus, I remember being blown away. Selling points. The graphics are one of the big selling points, but it's basically showing clips from the game. It's basically like a trailer for the game in, in TV format. Yeah. So it's showing the main character in an opera house when one of the actors looks at her and then it just shows a bunch more mayhem throughout the game, like bio blobs popping out of the sewer, jet fighters trying to kill the bio blob, but they get zapped by it, and an evil monster woman who looks like she's gonna kill the main character and a giant <laughs> explosion where the main character has to jump away from it like an action movie yeah so it's pretty, that looks really classic action movie it's very funny much. and then it but ends yeah, with it, it describes it it describes it with how aliens are inside your body and it had that 90s creepiness like aliens inside your body yeah it's got yeah. a lot of kind of kind of classic stuff that you would probably hear yeah but they did pretty much the cutscenes of the game because one of the big selling points of this game was yeah. Like I remember RPG. I remember playing the game and just being like, "These graphics are amazing," and they're nice, but Jesus, they look really goofy now. Like especially her jumping away from the fire. It looks like a a mannequin. It looked 
better than Final Fantasy really Because it's a Squaresoft game. Yeah, it looks better than Final Fantasy Seven. But then when Final Fantasy Eight came out, it was way way better. Yeah, I remember Final Fantasy Seven being like, and then Parasite Eve too. Anyway, this is Parasite Eve. The ending of the commercial is just the Parasite Eve kind of logo, which I always think is kind of interesting that there's like a logo for Parasite Eve. Yeah, that part two's commercial is pretty much the same. It's just like, ooh, like well, it worked weird. before monsters, and then it just more CG thing. <laughs> more um, CGI cutscene. Just when you thought it was safe, the horror returns. Escaping the past means fighting for the future. So if you're unaware of what Parasite Eve is, it is many things. It was actually a book that originated in Japan. So it was written by a guy named Hideaki Sena. He was actually a pharmacologist who had a job testing mitochondria and their ability to convert fatty acids into energy. So if you don't know, mitochondria are organelles, small organs in the cell. And they are also known as the powerhouse of the cell, which is a weird meme that everybody knows. Mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. So what that means is they have lots of energy in them. They produce the most ATPs, adenosine triphosphate, which the body needs for energy, but they're involved in a lot of other processes too. So that's kind of weird science for the day. Very scary, very spooky. So he was inspired by a documentary, which inspired him to write about how mitochondria would want to rebel and take over humans, which is kind of a weird concept because it's just a cell in you. But this is based on the concept of endosymbiotic theory. So mitochondria originally being bacteria that was swallowed by single-celled ancestors, as multi-celled organisms evolved, the two organisms are now working together. So kind of point to this is mitochondria in a very unique way have their own DNA, which is really weird. <laughs> and we all have it in us. Millions of years ago, the mitochondria began to live silently within our bodies. It seems that the parasites have only to live among us. Or do they? So I think that kind of just blew his mind and he decided to write a book about it. Now, I'm going to encapsulate... <laughs> A science nerd is like, that blew my mind. Let me write a book. I mean, maybe, yeah, if you're a nerd, you're going to write, maybe. Or you're going to talk about... All the nerdiest things. I just learned <laughs> about stars. I'm going to write that. going to write a giant book about it. Well, he wrote a book, but he didn't write like a treatment or something or a film or... He wrote a horror novel. So the story is about a woman named Kiyomi whose decisions are manipulated by a thing called Eve, which is associated with the mitochondria it's within her body this is a very complex and confusing novel i've never read it i've just read the wikipedia about it <laughs> so this is kind of the encapsulation of we tried this. to condense it because we looked at other stuff too but it's really confusing it's so confusing but the, the basics are condense it as best we could so the basics are in this book kiyomi her decisions are manipulated by eve Eve causes her to crash her car, so that way her organs could be transplanted into a girl, Mariko, who Eve has pinned as a very important girl who will help in her master plan. Mariko doesn't want the organ transplant because, I guess, Japanese cultural norms at the time, she just didn't want it. <laughs> so Eve manipulates Kiyomi's husband, Toshiaki, who is a scientist to use some of the organs that she has to make a culture of cells. So, you know, his dead wife. And it can manipulate people and immolate them by communicating with the mitochondria. The mitochondria kind of like generating so much heat and power that it can make people explode. So the cells that he makes eventually turn into a copy of Kiyomi and she steals, I'll let you read into that, Toshiaki's genetic material. So Mariko has Kiyomi's organs and Kiyomi's organs have also been used to create a copy of Kiyomi who is holding this consciousness Eve. So if you're with me, 
we're almost done. So Eve wants to implant Mariko with an ultimate life form that can control its own genetic code and free mitochondria and, I don't know, wreak havoc around the world or something along those lines. So that's why she took the genetic material. The life form is born and it's a monster, I guess, and it does have the capacity to free the mitochondria and do all the crazy stuff. But Toshiaki's male mitochondria tries to take over the life form. It's trying not to be over, like, subsumed by the mitochondria within this new life form, which causes it to die. And Toshiaki also dies with Eve, and Eve's cells that are left over in some way are destroyed. So that's the story of Parasite Eve, the book. It was the first book to win the Japan Horror Novel Award. It was a very popular book, but it was really technical in its descriptions, which I don't know if it added to. Because <laughs> it was written by a nerd. So. <laughs> yeah, who probably didn't have an editor or had a science editor. Or so who had an editor, but got overwhelmed. was like, whatever. It's like, you know what? Just publish it. <laughs> it was adapted into English 10 years later in 2005. So the book was so popular that it was made into a movie in Japan. And the movie was released in 97. The director was disappointed because I guess he wanted to keep more of the horror themes, but it was made more into a love story. And the ending is a bit different. The ultimate life form isn't born, but the husband Toshiaki convinces Eve slash Kiyomi, you know, the copy that exists to stop. They hug and they burn to death. So, you know, that's a good love story ending. Uh, it was not a high grossing film and Western reviews didn't like the whole thing was just kind of eh, iffy. It was released in 98 in the US and it was just kind of in the same realm as The Ring where it was that weird time where there was a lot of Japanese horror movies coming out just kind of got blended into the mix. So it didn't really stand out. But it did stand out enough to become a game. So it allegedly started off Parasite Eve the Game as a Final Fantasy VII idea. So you know how Final Fantasy VII, if you don't know Final Fantasy VII, I guess look it up. But um, Final Fantasy VII takes place in this industrial city, whereas the previous Final Fantasies were all in, I don't know, elf worlds. Um, so this Parasite Eve one, the person who was behind it wanted to kind of do this idea of detectives in New York City. And he kind of got that to happen. The producer, Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of the Final Fantasy series, brought the rights to the story from the publisher. The author wasn't involved in any of production, so it's just its own thing. So Hironobu got to have his New York detective story by making the game a sequel to the book. So it's not a retelling of the book. It's like the book happened and here's the spiritual continuation of it. Yeah. So one of the characters, Maeda, a Japanese scientist, said he worked on the original Eve cells. He says this in the game. And the main character's mother, who had unique dormant Eve cells in her, was named Mariko. But it probably wasn't the character in the book as the timeline's a little bit funny. But anyway, you can see that there's a relationship there between the book and the game. It was released in 97 and 98, but not in the PAL regions. And it was the first Squaresoft's game to receive an M for mature rating. It was this blend of RPG and survival horror. So a little bit like Resident Evil. So if you like that game, then you'd probably get into this game. So the story itself, the main character, Aya Brea, is a detective who goes to an opera when everyone bursts into flames. And you see that in the commercial. She's watching an actress in the opera, and the main actress received a cornea transplant from Aya's twin sister, Maya, creative, when they and their mother, Mariko, were in a car crash as kids. So when Aya is in the crowd and the actress is singing, the Eve cells activate because both sisters had the Eve cells in them, and it goes on to try to world dominate. <laughs> so only Aya is immune to its control and attacks. So that's how you're able to play as her. Like you don't just explode into fire or anything because she kind of has the Eve cells. So it just cancels it out. The game itself is built as a cinematic RPG. It used Hollywood VFX people for the cutscenes, which is why I was saying, wow, these cutscenes are amazing because they actually were really good at the time. They looked really cool. The game itself got good reviews for its gameplay and its cutscenes and the horror and the female lead and the music. And I will make a big point about the music because I have some of it. I like downloaded some of the music and it still exists in my <laughs> phone and stuff just because I really liked it. But it was criticized for not featuring voices and it was kind of short and it definitely is short. Uh, the character designer was Tetsuya. Yeah, you already had like Metal Gear Solid and stuff. Yeah, I had Metal Gear Solid. I had Parasite Eve. I had all the Final Fantasy music. Man, it's just... Like, like the voices. Can't say this to people in real life. <laughs> Tetsuya Nomura was a character designer, and he's the guy who does 
all the Final Fantasy stuff. And he also went on to do Kingdom Hearts character art. And he's part of all the three games. Going back to the music, the music is opera and techno, which is kind of cool. It was really weird. But the person who was in charge of that was Yoko Shimomura. And she was involved in this one. I don't think she was involved in the second one, but she did come back for the third game. So there's three games in the series. It was a really, really successful game. Even Madonna's movie company, Maverick, wanted to make it into a movie. Because, you know, if you get enough attention, Madonna will come. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, the game is part of a three series thing. So it had two sequels, Parasite Eve and The Third Birthday. We played Parasite Eve 2. It came into it in like 99, 2000. And it was handled by a lot of the people who did Resident Evil. And you can really feel it in that game. It feels way more like later Resident Evil than the first survival horror <laughs> Resident Evil. It feels a little bit more like, you know, when Resident Evil became bio monsters, like that's what this one feels a little bit more. They kept the main character as the protagonist. They were going to have another guy in it, but he ended up just becoming kind of like a secondary character. So it was just kind of, it was a fine game. I think it was received okay, but it wasn't well-loved like Parasite yeah, Eve. It was just Resident Evil clone. <laughs> yeah, that's how it was kind of viewed. And then The Third Birthday was released in 2010, 2011. It was a spinoff and it got really not good reviews. And it is, Harold is, is the one that killed the series. The guy who's made it. Very confusing. <laughs> I don't know that one. I didn't play it and I didn't really want to. But, you know, in 2020, the Final Fantasy VII remake producer, and he was the director of The Third Birthday, said that the IP still had potentials. There may be Parasite Eve in the future. We just don't know. And that's the end of Parasite Eve. It's a really good game. So if you what? haven't played it, buy an old PlayStation Which game. game did you like better of the two? Of the two you played, anyway? Parasite Eve. Not Parasite Eve 2. Parasite Eve 2 I, I really liked. It. And the cutscenes were really good, but yeah, was... Parasite Eve was remember much more atmospheric. It how they like shoehorn coca-cola in there oh yeah the yeah it, it felt more polished i don't know how to put it it didn't have the same vibe as the original yeah it just you could feel the resident evilness of it <laughs> yeah well the later resident evil because i feel like parasite overall evil, yeah not, like, just resident evil the 2. horror of it's kind of creepy and cool it's a good game i liked it all right so that is parasite Eve. we're gonna move into the final one of us spooky is there another word for spooky scary creepy. no that creepy sounds we'll figure it out this next halloween commercial <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna press play <laughs> what is real is it the light the emptiness your fear Terror will consume you, and nothing will be what it seems. Eternal Darkness, only for Nintendo GameCube, rated M for Mature. Was Seeing Don LaFontaine? I think so, it is. The announcer guy from the movies. It is actually... Hal Douglas. Okay, so, uh, just to go through it, and then I'll kind of explain what I'm saying. The commercial itself is Hal Douglas talking, but it's just showing various clips of the gameplay or the cutscenes anyway, like a monster, a woman, some bone people, some weird looking squishy sarlacc looking thing, a, a bone Roman soldier is just showing various clips. And it looks like there's weird, creepy monsters. It looks like there's bones, skeletons and magic. <laughs> That's, that's the commercial. There's no real other way to describe it. So if you want to actually watch it yourself, look up Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem Nintendo GameCube commercial. I mean, that's what I was going to say. The visuals are actually not nice visuals. They're kind of scary. Obviously, it's a creepy game. Yeah. And then here about the quality of the cutscenes. Oh, no, the cutscenes are nice. Like, they're much better than the previous games, but we're talking GameCube. It's kind of like the Parasite Evil. It's just cutscenes and atmospheric talking about it. Yeah, I feel like there's more talking in this one than the Parasite Evil, though. But the point that I was going to make here is just, it feels so weird watching this and then seeing at the end, only on the Nintendo GameCube. When I think of the Nintendo GameCube, I think of Luigi's Mansion, which is kind <laughs> of scary, but not at all scary, and Animal <laughs> Crossing. So GameCube for me doesn't scream bones. 
I know well, they're skeletons, but I just keep thinking bones. Yeah. There was um, another yeah. commercial of this that had like a shirtless guy brushing his teeth in a dingy bathroom or something like that. Ew. But it had no sound, so we couldn't really put it in. Uh, okay. I kind of want to see that one. But yeah, I-, I remember playing this game. This game's actually very, very good. It is a- an interesting game. I really liked it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Eternal Darkness has a bit of a history with its development. It actually started in the mid-1990s. Nintendo, just like you said, is known for its child-friendly image. So you're not going to see horrifying things. Except yeah, for this, I'm not going to see bones. <laughs> yeah. The game was developed by Silicon Knights. Nintendo entered into an exclusive contract with them based on their first game, Blood Omen, Legacy of Kane, which is about a bunch of vampires and stuff. It's gone through like... Like not Kane. Series. Another Kane, right? It's Kane! Yeah, not the biblical Kane. But the designers put a big emphasis on history and lore and stuff. So, Yeah, it, the Legacy of Kane series has gone on really long and is in-depth now. I feel like but Kane that's the one always... That, started all. that Kane always makes me think of Nightcrawler. He looks like Nightcrawler, right? No, that's his Lieutenant Rizal. All right, fine. Like I don't know who Kane is. Whatever. <laughs> I just know the boxes. All right, go on, go on. Sorry. Soul Reaver, that's the one you know. Nintendo started working on the project in on the Nintendo 64. It was kind of easy to do. You just do 3D image and then Photoshop to smooth out the textures and stuff. They were like, it was going well. We were doing pretty good on it. It was almost done. They even started showing it at trade shows. But Nintendo said, you work with us and we need more games for the Nintendo GameCube. This is almost done, but we got to move it to the GameCube. Because they didn't have too many games out for it. So it was Nintendo 64, like this game was meant to be. Yeah, it was meant to be Nintendo Wow, like visually, well, obviously they had to adapt, but it doesn't look like it was meant to be a Nintendo 64 game. Interesting. A bit. If you lower it down, I guess it kind of does. Hmm. Well, the cutscenes look good, I guess. That's what I mean. They went with it, but they had to do heavy crunch time to make it look better. Silicon Knight's head, Dennis Dyack said he wanted to avoid the B-movie feel of Resident Evil, just zombies that you shoot in the head, and wanted to do something other than survival horror. So he was looking at, like we discussed with Splatterhouse, the controversies with video games. They're like, oh, they mess with kids' heads, and they influence children wrong, and they become mass murderers. Why not make a game where you actually mess with people's heads? So he was influenced by some of his favorite authors, like Edgar Allan Poe. The game even starts with an Edgar Allan Poe quote. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting. And, uh, of course, based on the multidimensional and giant god space monsters throughout time... He was influenced by H.P. Lovecraft's Cosmic Horror. Space? Mo- okay, that makes a lot of sense because when you're watching the... Vis- so if- like, if you're watching the commercial, like these weird, nondescript, creepy-looking blob things, I don't know how to describe them. I'm doing a bad job. Yeah. Go on. So <laughs> the basic thing of Lovecraft's horror that's scary is the unknown. Their machinations are folding into human life. And you don't know. You're just a human. You can't know beyond your humanity. And if you do catch a glimpse of it, you go insane. Mm-hmm. So the game goes through several eras and they look toward history. One of the, the centerpieces was called the Pillar of Flesh, which uh, some warlord had to make for his ancient god that he served. And oh. they, they made it full of humans and stuff. But that was actually based on a Mongol conqueror called Timur or Tamerlane. He wanted to conquer the world, so he went city to city, conquered them. He's like, here's how we are going to scare people into submitting to us. Get all these heads, skulls, and everything. Get all the bricks and mortar, or I guess I don't know if they had bricks back then. But (laughs) we're going to make mortar and skulls and heads and mix them all into a creepy, creepy wall so no one will want to mess with us. After one particular revolt, he punished them by shoving living human bodies of the revolters within the mortar wall. So they just kind of died there. Tamerlane was a bad dude. Even Joseph Stalin, there's a legend that Joseph Stalin was afraid of him. (laughs) Stalin stole his skull from Mongolia in World War II, but then 
bad stuff started happening around his uh, country and the Nazis were invading. Stalin and atheist was like, this is a curse. Put this guy's head back. <laughs> Never so, yeah. uncover ancient evil. <laughs> yeah. It's a lesson, so, yeah. Definitely a lesson so, to you all. They also had to get a bunch of historic places in Ares. Right. And they studied the occult to get the magic system right. And the purple stuff in the middle. If you understand this next joke, you probably played the game. Pargon, 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 Pargon. Okay. That's for people who get it. <laughs> but the centerpiece of it all was the sanity meter. Yes. They got yes. it from a paper game based off of HP Lovecraft called the Call of Cthulhu. And throughout the game, the sanity meter gets lower because you're seeing horrifying monsters and stuff. What's reality? What's going on? So the hallucinations start happening. And it's supposed to be a blend between scary, but the uh, field tests. The audience said, we want to make it fun, too. So they made silly things and creepy things and silly things. One of the more infamous ones, which Nintendo was worried about, was you're playing the game. Then you go to your save point and says, reformatting the memory card. Oh, and God. You're losing all your save data. And it's like, oh, no. Then it goes back. Woof. Nintendo was like, let's not do some of these. Because if they said the memory card is going to mess up, They'll just pull it out, and you're supposed to pull it out when the game is not on. Oh, God, yeah, that would be horrible. Ugh. Yeah, I still so have the like, memories no, of memory to, cards, and it's never been fun. We have to on. fight this. Right, okay. So, it's so cool. Sanity meter no, was They really liked the sanity meter so much that Nintendo patented it in 2005. Yeah. When it was almost coming out, there was a big setback. The September 11, 2001 attacks happened in the United States. That's uh, one way to describe the September yeah. 11th attacks as setback. Okay. <laughs> no, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I know. In terms of production, a bad thing happened, but it happened within the theme of the game. Mm. The perpetrators were Islamic extremists, and they sent out a message that the U.S. has invaded this territory. They they support people who hurt Muslims in like Chechnya and Israel and stuff like that. Mm. We're declaring holy war on the U.S. Right. One of the characters, which they actually were proud of and showed off a demonstration, was a crusader based on an actual uh, crusader in the Knights Templar. We've selected Joseph de Molay, who is actually a Knights Templar. He's authentically modeled. And the Crusades were when the Christians were trying to take back Holy Land from <laughs> Islamic rule. So yeah, it's like, pretty poor timing. Really, I don't know how much that would play with your mind if you're, you're doing all this crazy union archetype stuff and then it came into reality. yeah it's not great yeah what did they do about it then nintendo was like we're not gonna deal with this we know the game's almost finished and the character is done so let's take them out and they did they scrubbed all the islamic text out of it and one of the developers they interviewed said some even feared that they would get attacked themselves because it was a very scary time yeah it was a weird time everybody kind of yeah. thought that but yeah Ugh. So they replaced the Knights Templar Crusader with a uh, 1991 Canadian firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really extreme spot. We have to get it way off of that. All right. Okay. So. so it wasn't a huge success, they hoped, but it gained a cult following, was which was enough. Game. Yeah, which is enough for Silicon Knights to get a contract with Konami and Nintendo to make a Metal Gear Solid remake, Metal Gear Solid, The Twin Snakes. Ooh la la. But that was their last big thing. Because oh. Silicon Knights eventually went down. The big yeah, thing I that heard they, about them. They were working on the game Too Human when they sued Epic Games because Epic Games licensed the Unreal 3 engine to them to make Too Human. Mm -hmm. but they said it didn't work, but Epic was able to prove in the contract it says, these are new systems. It may not work, and we hold the right to not update the machine. If we uh, okay. But they also countersued Silicon Knights because they used part of the copyrighted source code in their own engine and used that in other games that were not licensed to the Unreal 3 engine. So right. they used the, the code of the Unreal 3 engine in other things, and the judge was like, yeah, this is pretty clear cut that you stole it. So everything, they were ordered to scrub everything that had it. Wow. And Too Human, legally, is not allowed to exist. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, so that blew up in their faces. From that, Genesis Dyak 
since the end of Eternal Darkness, has been trying to come out with a spiritual successor sequel to Eternal Darkness called Shadow the Eternals. He set up many Kickstarters and many companies to try to get it off the ground, but it never really did, even though people keep saying, like, hey, we want a sequel to this thing. So the- Another thing about this with, like, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, a lot of the voice actors from Metal Gear Solid were in Eternal Darkness. I mean, you have, like, Cam Clark as the little messenger boy who hmm. wants to help Charlemagne the Great. Cam Clark. It's a- yeah, but uh, the funniest one to me is... The rebel Star Wars starfighter Porkins is the mad colonial anatomy guy who's an ancestor to the main character girl, Alex Provis. Remember? Yeah, like the game itself is is, is a bit insane. I I just like the way he talks because he he can do the anatomy of the monster. And he's like, they're just flesh and they rot and they want. It's it's just hilarious the way he talks. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) that's Porkins. That's funny. Dear God, I had to do it. Had to. I, I, I mean, we haven't talked about it or anything, but the game itself deals with a lot of occult and you go through various p- moments in time. So they're different characters yeah, they're, that are tied throughout ancient history. Monsters. They so. did a parallel timeline thing where there's three ancient monsters that you have to fight, but once per game you fight one of the monsters. Y- yeah, it's basically like play as different characters. This evil like, lich Roman guy is the avatar for the monsters that he worships, and pretty much throughout all of history, they're setting up like a two thousand year. Yeah, they have like a you play as like a Roman soldier, and, a Canadian guy, a girl, yeah, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, big Cthulhu based monster who controls them all. Yeah, so Eternals you, or something. Spoiler alert: When you beat three games. It said that big Cthulhu monster across time and space, which is unknown to humanity. He's been manipulating them the whole time, and he's plotting to get out. So he defeated them all across three timelines using the humans across three timelines. And it's just a giant mind screw that was... So you thought you beat the, the bad, but of Lovecraftian horror. There you go. Yeah, it's actually pretty messy. If you like Lovecraft and stuff... In it, I don't know the girl. I don't know. I just remember the end being like, "What has happened?" Oh, speaking of the sanity meter, oh, and this is the honest to goodness truth. I wanted to beat the game three times because I want to see the super ending. Mm-hmm. I beat the game once, and the sanity meters are fun. I was in the middle of my second game, and the sanity meter was low, so I was expecting to fall through the floor or just explode or whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it says, "I hear like whir 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 whir," and this is. Disc unreadable. Please place disc back in the thing. Like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and then after like 30 seconds, which is too long for a sanity effect, please don't tell me this is. No, uh, I dad. took out, the, I ejected the game, I put the disc back in, and for the next two playthroughs, I had to play hour bursts before I had to replace the that disc. That was ridiculous. I remember this whole thing. That was a mess. I think maybe that's why it also stuck with me because of the trials and tribulations of it. But I just love It was that. haunted. Like, it was a haunted game. I've, I like that you had to play loads and to get to that final ending, and that final ending was like, oh. You, you made a mess. <laughs> the super evil monster. Yeah. It's pretty, it was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was funny. When we have to summon the other monster to beat the other monster, uh, it's still going to kill you. <laughs> it's really, it's a good game. Actually, all the games, I don't know about Splatterhouse, but all the games I've mentioned here, are, the two that I've played in this are very good games. You like generic beat-em-ups. You like Splatterhouse. <laughs> uh, generic beat-em-ups where the manual has like a really deep story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to fly through this now. Let, Let's review. Let us do the review. All right, so of the three, which is your least favorite commercial? Commercial, uh, I'm going to say Parasite Eve because it, it's just pretty much a showcase, like, oh, look how yeah. pretty our, our CG is. And it, it has that annoying early 2000s, I mean, yeah. early like, 90s weirdness, like, hey, I'm speaking really fast, I'm an alien. Da, 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 da. I was going to say, I was going to say, how dare you? But yeah, that one's my least favorite. There's, 
There's not that much to it. To be honest, I feel like Parasite Eve. Okay, I'm just going to go through it. Parasite Eve and Eternal Darkness are kind of the same for me. Uh, One's like a bio horror and one's a freaking cosmic horror. Oh, yeah, because... uh, The commercials are just kind of the same for me. So Parasite Eve is in the bottom just because Eternal Darkness has the movie guy's voice. And that's why it's higher for me. (laughs) I mean, I was trying to find uh, the other one, but the other one didn't even have audio. But yeah, the other one was interesting, uh, but yeah, it wouldn't have worked for this. Yeah. So yeah, Eternal Darkness is second for me. It's the same thing as Parasite Eve, but it has Hal Douglas in voice. So that makes it uh, automatically better. What about what he's saying? What's reality? It's scary. Yeah, it's good. I guess so. Better. It's better personally. Yeah. So that's also my second then. It has prettier, flashier things. And the third, I mean, the first would be just kind of right default. Would be yeah, it is a little bit funny. <laughs> would be you know, a, a cheapy uh, wrestling promo of Kane hitting you in the face. It, it does kind of have that eight, that like two by four. vibe of it. It's of like, like Halloween summer, sm- summer Halloween fall bash, and bam, smashes you with a two by four. It's a, uh, it's there's not, it's a fine commercial. It, has it explains what you want, and it's showing like a creepy guy do things. Mm-hmm. So it's, and that the. the uh, you know what? It is effective. I, I will say the yeah. one thing that makes it quite effective is that when I saw some of the gameplay initially, because I'm talking as a person from the future, it was just like, well, this doesn't look great. But then I saw some of the art on it. Like when you're playing the game, it's like, ooh, that looks yeah. creepy. That doesn't look nice. And, and that actually intrigued me. So, yeah, I think so, that's yeah, why it it's was, number fun. It was cheesy looking, but it, it fit for the Halloweeniness, spookiness of it all. Yeah. And isn't that perfect for this time of year podcast episode? <laughs> um, yes, okay, we're going to lightning so round which this. Do you, yeah, lightning round. Which do you think was the scariest, I guess the game as in gameplay and the theme of it? Which was the scariest? Eternal theme? Darkness for me, because it really does mess with your head. I think the sanity meter really, really does. Like Parasite Eat is actually quite scary and it's, I don't know enough about Splatterhouse, but I don't think it would be scary enough. Parasite Eve does have a hauntingness to it, but Eternal Darkness, it has everything kind of going for it to make it a very scary game. That sanity meter messes with your head and it sucks. (laughs) Yeah, the one like the story I just explained how. Yeah, exactly. The actual hardware died and it was one of the games that got caught in the flood in our house. Oh, yeah. I so, lost so many pictures. I'm convinced that this game's cursed and <laughs> it will haunt me. Okay, next. So I uh, just really like the story and especially the Max dude. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, yeah, as far as Parasite Eve, I, I just tried to follow the whole series because it's one of the first ones I played. So, yeah. I really like the series as a whole. It's a good, and, it's good. I feel like I've just said that too much. <laughs> Um, okay, lightning round question two. Of the three commercials, which one would you buy the product for? I am going to say for me, I would buy it's between Eternal Darkness and Splatterhouse, actually, because Eternal Darkness does look cool. I, I don't know. I would say Eternal Darkness because it like a movie trailer. Yeah, that's the why it's kind of a movie. And it's, hey, look, this is creepy. Parasite Eve was just a show reel of looking yeah, at CGs. Yeah. I think. And hmm. the other one was just a cheapy Halloween. But that would have made it fun. Wrestling, it wrestling it promo. <laughs> I don't know. I'll go with Eternal Darkness too in that sense. So. I'll go with Eternal Darkness as a movie trailer. Yeah. This should have been the first question, but. Yeah. I felt like I had a third one, but I don't. It disappeared. I don't. <laughs> it disappeared. <laughs> Something about so yeah, scariest and one you'd actually so, buy. Uh, I think that's which, it. Which uh, I have a lightning round question, which is, which of these three would you rather be in the situation of? Ugh. Because <laughs> I mean, you're watching oh, a, sla- a slasher just, movie. You know what? I'd probably choose Parasite Eve because I me wouldn't too. explode if I was her. Do you mean as me or as the main character? As you. Oh, as, as me. Oh, well, I'd explode very good. The Splatterhouse, because I wouldn't be in the Splatterhouse. I'd be just, I'd be, you know, eating coffee. Because what? they evacuated the city. You could evacuate. Oh, that's and true. it's a science-based but, monster thing. You could probably science. But listen, but listen, listen. The this, other things this, are like. No, Splatterhouse. Like, monster well, things. Splatterhouse, because there are Find no other. Ca- there are no other. Char- the mask. 
there are no other characters and you're inside of, it all takes place inside of the mansion so as long as you're yeah, not but look in the how mansion, hellish that is yeah but if you're not in the mansion like if you're talking about me personally i wouldn't be in that mansion i would sure, be well, you know well, working. i think you mean in this in the sense that if you're you within this the system no in the system, I think, well, like, yeah, Parasite. Like, would you want to fight hordes of death monsters or? No, I, I think we can both agree uh, that Eternal Darkness is the one place we wouldn't want to be. Parasite, yeah. I suppose if I'm evacuated. Who's to say we're not in it right now? Yeah. All right. I think that's the end of this. That is the end. So we hope you enjoyed this. I think special... that was the scariest. My third lightning round question. Eternal Darkness is scary. Yeah, Eternal Darkness is the scariest. So that's the end. Go away. Uh, <laughs> that's the end of this episode. Oh, so we thank you. We thank you for joining us. If you like us, make sure to subscribe and share us retro ad review with your friends. Have them listen, engage, explore. We're on Facebook and Instagram as retro ad review. You can send us messages, comment, share what you think on those platforms with us. You know, make sure to do that because that's always good fun. And that's it. So. We hope you enjoy Halloween, or if you like spooky times all the time, a spooky year. (laughs) Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, man, we're moving on to Christmas. All right. See you guys later. Bye. We hope you enjoy Halloween. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It will tell us all!